Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. My name is Vivek Shreya, and I'll be reading from my collection of short stories called God Loves Hair. Each story is illustrated by local Toronto illustrator Juliana Neufeld, and the book itself is available at godloveshair.com. This first story is called God Loves Hair. My mother grows up in a big house in Ceylon with wide balconies and open windows. Her mother tells her that she is the sunlight. She is loved. But she is a girl. From the instant a girl is born, her parents worry. How will we keep her safe? How will we make sure that she's educated enough, worthy enough for a husband? How will we afford to pay for her wedding, her dowry? My mother is part of a collective of four daughters, each one representing a series of burdens. She has a brother too, but his presence in the home is light, or at least one the family is happy to bear and even display proudly. He is his parents' greatest achievement, the assurance that the family name will live on. No one worries about him. He's a man. He can stand on his own two feet. My mom does her best to lessen her weight, combing the knots out of her younger sister's hair, fetching water from the well. Her fluency in French and actress-like beauty also guarantee that she won't have too much trouble receiving a proposal from a doctor, engineer, or lawyer when she's ready. But when her father unexpectedly dies, every day she and her sisters remain unwed is another day their mom, now a single parent of five, spends in distress. The pressure is on my mom, and Mary Wise is replaced by Mary Fast. She finds that she's no longer as attractive to potential suitors because the absence of a father suggests an absence of dowry. You should have just married the neurosurgeon that came to see you last month. He was from a rich family. He would have been good to you. Then I would have had one less daughter to worry about. She silently promises to herself that she will marry the next suitor who knocks on her door. The lucky beneficiary of this promise is the man from Canada with thick sideburns, the multicolored tie, and only a master's degree. My dad. They meet, are engaged, and then married in the span of ten days. When the time comes for having children of her own, my mother is unwavering about her desire to have sons, two healthy sons. So she does what any determined Hindu would do. She barters with God. If you grant me two healthy sons, I vow to give them their first haircuts at the Temple of Seven Hills in Thirupati, India. It is believed that the hair on your head is what makes you beautiful. Shaving it off pleases God because it means you have chosen Him over your appearance. My mother is pregnant. I am a basketball. As her tiny body expands, her prayers intensify. Let him be a boy. Let him look just like his father. Let him live. Every other firstborn in her family has died through miscarriage or stillbirth. She is comforted every time I kick. I am born the day after Valentine's Day. My mother examines me closely. I have a penis. No missing toe or spare finger. She's overjoyed and cries, God is great. Like most Indian babies, I have a full head of jet black hair. It grows fast and long, testing my mum's resolve. 
but true to her word, no scissors or razor come near my head. My parents decide it would be best for their wallet if they try to make another baby boy right away. This would save them from having to go to India twice to fulfill my mother's end of the bargain. In the interim, my hair is managed into several mini pigtails and eventually one long, thin ponytail. My, what a cute baby girl you have. Your daughter's so pretty. How old is she? She looks just like her dad. What's her name? She has such chubby cheeks. My first haircut is in therapy, next to my baby brother, just as my mother prophesied. I cry as the barber pours warm water over my newly shaven head, the small cuts made by his severe grip and his old razor burning. God is happy. I am two years old. Dress up. My brother and I live in a Lego world, building amusement out of unsuspecting materials. Couch pillows become forts, quilts become flower-patterned wings, and his headboard becomes a stage for puppet shows. We've also discovered a secret cave under his bed, perfect for hiding in, which is particularly useful when Mom yells from downstairs, Fold the laundry! But the change I love most happens when we play dress-up. We wear each other's clothes. His are smaller and tighter than my own. I like the feeling of the fabric choking my body. It's like being touched all over. I like dressing up at school, too. Whenever there's a school play, I beg for the girl roles. Girls get to have long, flowing hair, some days French braided, other days curled. They get to show off shiny earrings and delicate bracelets. And girls get to wear actual colors, like popsicle pink and poppy red. Why should they have all the fun? It's pretty easy convincing everyone that it would be funnier for a boy to play a girl, my prepubescent high-pitched voice and asset, but secretly, I just want the chance to put on my mother's velvet emerald-colored dress. It, too, is small and tight, with a life of its own. I step into the dress and close my eyes. I let her Estee Lauder scent envelop me and feel her like a current of electricity, both warm and fierce. I become her. I am beautiful. When we travel to India to visit my parents' family, my aunts tell me how pretty I am. I seize this opportunity to test out their observations. Maybe you should dress me up in a sari and see what I would look like as a girl, I say coyly. They jump at the chance. They spread out their rainbow sari collections on the bed, and I feel like a princess as I choose the bold magenta and black one. It looks like something my mom would wear. They spin me around in the endless sheer fabric that smells like oil and mothballs and pleated a couple times at the front so it looks like an accordion hanging from my waist. But my transformation isn't complete. Bangles all the way up my elbows, thick black eyeliner, string of white jasmine flowers in my hair. From afar, my dad thinks I'm some sweet village girl. I am the prettiest little girl in the world. My dad and I are looking out at the chaos of students ahead. This is no Millwoods Elementary. I'm wearing my brand new sneakers from Kmart, my hair is neatly combed with omelet oil, and my knapsack is stuffed with school supplies, pencils and duotangs, all individually labeled with my name, but I am not ready. There's an awkward silence in the car. I'm not sure what feels more foreign my new timetable and its listing of new room numbers and new teacher last names, or sharing a first with my dad. I tell myself, this is what bonding feels like. 
Finally, he turns to me, and I'm sure he's going to wish me luck or tell me to study hard, something to inspire me to greatness on my first day of junior high. He says, stay away from girls. They are dangerous. Gaylord. Junior high has marked the sudden death of sweatpants. They have been replaced by name-brand denim and name-calling, which will continue every day for the next six years. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed Will Jensen walks close behind me on my way to class. He's on his tippy-toes as though he's wearing high heels, fluttering his hands and talking with a lisp to his audience of jocks. Is that what I look like? Do you have to be such a sissy? They laugh, and I pretend I'm oblivious. They have to laugh because Will is the most popular boy in school. Maybe if I laugh too, Will and I could be friends. He kicks me, and I say sorry. He's puzzled. He kicks me again, this time timidly, like a child unsure of his own strength, and I apologize again. His friends find this funny, so he keeps kicking, they keep laughing, and I keep apologizing. I'm bound to sorry as though it's my only defense, as though each sorry holds a tiny spark of dignity. The same jocks surround me by my locker later and warn me of impending dangers. Are you sure no one's beaten you up yet? You're definitely going to get beaten up in high school. Definitely. One of the brown jocks, the one who laughs the loudest, follows me into the washroom. He stands wide at the stall right next to me, making his presence known. I pee as fast as I can, focusing my eyes straight down, thinking about how our matching skin doesn't protect me and how that feels like a betrayal. I look for safety with the girls. We have more in common, like our love for Jodeci and General Hospital. I am safe for them, too. I am the boy they can talk to about their crushes on the other boys. Maybe I am too safe. Mia Zinner, one of my few friends, likes to tell me how much she wishes I was dead. You know, it's only 9.30 a.m., but I just want to kill you, Gaylord. When I ask my parents if I can change schools, my dad tells me that my hairstyle is the real problem. In India, boys who part their hair like yours in the middle are, you know. So I learn which hallways to avoid, sissy, and which faces to avoid. How to walk a little firmer, talk a little deeper, be a little smaller. But I can't make it stop. I catch an episode of The Wonder Years when Kevin is getting picked on by a bully. Loser, loser, loser. Fed up one day, Kevin responds, fine, I am a loser. The bully responds, you are? In shock. He never picks on Kevin again. I immediately take note and am determined to test it out the next day. Gay lord. Fine. I am a gay lord. You are? Bingo, just as predicted. Yes, yes I am. Do you even know what that means? Um, sure I do. It means loser? No, it means you like boys. Mustache. My body is disappearing. Armpits, chest, belly button, arms, fingers, legs, toes that were once bare are now lost somewhere under multiplying hair. There is even hair my brother and I try to compare our hair growths at dinner, but my parents tell us this is inappropriate to share. We must grow hairy alone. Thankfully, most of the hairs are hidden, just not the ones rising above my lips. Nice mustache! I know it's not a compliment. I ask my parents if I can shave. You aren't old enough! A year of family birthday photographs all feature my newest facial highlight joining forces with a splatter of acne and the oversized purple tortoiseshell glasses. I ask my parents if I can shave again. 
Don't be like one of these Canadian children, always in a rush to grow up. My mustache becomes my trademark. When I'm 15, my parents are ready to make a compromise. They tell me to shower and come to the living room. I dash down the staircase to find my mom holding a silver tray with an oil lamp, a $20 bill, and something small wrapped in newspaper. She waves the flame around my face, blessing me and removing any mark made by evil spirits. She tells me, you are a man now, and hands me the money and the present. I rip open the wrapping to find a new shiny pair of small scissors. I am allowed to trim my mustache. I can't wait to try them out. My trim mustache looks like black ground pepper glued above my lips. I have a stolen fantasy of what my first shave will be like. My dad and I are facing the washroom mirror. We have matching white towels around our waists, and our faces are covered in white foam. Our razors are laid out in front of us. He picks us up, shaves a small strip of his cheek, rinses the blade under the tap, and then faces me for my turn, watching to make sure I don't accidentally cut myself. I pick up my brand new razor, fighting the nerves in my hand, and try to reenact exactly what he has done, looking at him all the while from the corner of my eyes. We repeat this ritual until our faces are smooth and hurt from smiling. My dad tells me how to shave over dinner. Can you show me? No, it's easy. Eyebrows. I learn a lot about how to be a boy from my brother and the lessons he learns in school. Not the classroom, but the gym change room. Lessons I miss because I change in the corner facing the teal-tiled wall so no one can accuse me of a wondering eye. I listen intently as he tells me how the boys discuss the pros and cons of shaving their pubic hair and other regions of their body. Girls don't like Harry. He even purchases his own trimmer. I hear a sharp buzzing coming from the washroom as he mows down his legs and chest. But I'm in no hurry to follow his lead. No one's going to see me naked anytime soon. I'm more preoccupied with eyebrows. I've watched my mother pluck her eyebrows over a hundred times. Anytime she's in the washroom, she's armed with tweezers and concentrating on her reflection. Once she spots where to strike, her hand lifts mechanically, tweezers tightening and precisely pulling the bad hair from its root. Her mind is somewhere far away. She is calm, comforted that there are things, however small, that can be removed, that can be changed. When she's summoned back by the sound of the garage door opening or remembering that she has to drive my brother to basketball practice, she puts down the tweezers and pencils thin almond-brown arches over the surviving hairs. My own eyebrows look like a variation of Bert's from Sesame Street, two furry caterpillars forever headlining my face. So I pluck and pluck. It's hard to stop. My face is changing. My eyes seem to be getting bigger and brighter, my face narrower. People say tweezing hurts, but I like the pain. Like when you floss your teeth for the first time in three weeks. I try to reciprocate with my brother, imparting upon him my new lesson. He is surprisingly dubious. When my mom tires of me constantly boring hers, we head down to Zeller's, where she buys my first pair of tweezers. She splurges on the fancy gold-plated ones. She hands them to me in the parking lot. 
Thanks, Mom. This passing of the torch has to be a sign, a sign that she knows my secret and loves me just the same. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.